Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Pope Francis Generation. Hey, Paul, and welcome back to Liz Hansen. She's been with us before and back again. Good to have you with us. Thank you for asking me back. I guess I didn't bomb too badly last time. <laughs> Paul, what's the topic for today? Yeah, so so today we're talking about uh, an article that, that Liz recently published in uh, in Dappled Things magazine about... Um, well, it's about lots of different things, but the theme we're going to focus on specifically is what it means to feel safe or unsafe in the church. I think for a lot of people who follow this show, uh, it's a question we have. I've, I'm really curious to see where, yeah, see where you, where this goes. You two have a lot of experience that I'm looking forward to listening to. So friends, hello, and welcome to Pope Francis Generation. It's the show for Catholics struggling with the church's teaching who feel like they might not belong in the church anymore and who still hunger for a God of love and goodness. Your hosts are me, Paul Fahey, a professional catechist. And I'm Dominic, someone who needs catechesis. Together, we're taking our own look at the Catholic church, her teachings and practices from three views that changed our world. And those are the kerygma, the doctrine of theosis, and the teachings of Pope Francis. Together with you, we're the Pope Francis generation. Yeah. So I I, I want to introduce Liz again. Uh, her, her her bio has expanded a little bit in the in the past few months. Um, so Elizabeth Hansen graduated from Franciscan University of Steubenville in 2008 with majors in English and theology. She and her husband Luke met at the university's Honors Great Books program, and they raised four kids in Michigan. Her writing has appeared in the in Magnificat, Columbia Magazine. Plow, Crux Now, National Catholic Register, Femme Catholic, and Dabbled Things Magazine. Liz, thanks for coming back. Thank you. Um, Good to so, talk to you again. Yes, and you absolutely didn't bomb the last time. That was, uh, <laughs> I yeah, I heard really, really good feedback about our conversation um, the last time. And so, so that was about, um, to remind listeners, that one was about, uh, Liz had written an article um, based on her own experience, reflecting on her own experience at Steubenville about the still ongoing um, uh, abuse scandal that's happening in Steubenville um, at Franciscan University. Um, we're not talking about that again, even though that that still is ongoing. Oh, it's still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, uh, it's, it's still a thing. <laughs> it's unfortunately not, not relevant. Um, uh, but Jen Morrison, if you follow her, she's 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 still reporting on that. Um, but, but but today we wanted to talk about something different, uh, something related, but a little bit different. Um, so Liz just published an article, like I said, in in Dappled Things Quarterly Magazine titled uh, "Desire of the Everlasting Hills," and hopefully by the time this podcast is published, that'll be available online. Mm -hmm. If not, it will be available very soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyways, in that article, uh, um, Liz, you recounted a family vacation you made um, a couple of years ago in the summer of 2021 um, that turned into a type of retreat or or a pilgrimage um, for you as you processed um, experiencing a season uh, of scandal in the church broadly, but also within uh, your local mm -hmm. communities. Um, the article was beautiful. Um, I read it during... I read it during my morning prayer um, after you had given it to me uh, and not expecting at all to cry through the whole thing. Um, it, it was fantastic. Um, you had given it to me. Uh, you had our family over for dinner and we brought enchiladas and it was a wild time. Uh, but the, the kids let us talk enough. We talked about um, some of the difficulties of being Catholic right now in the wake of all the sexual and spiritual abuse in the church and all the covering up that the church is doing. Um, and I asked, how do you navigate still being Catholic, you know, knowing all of that? Uh, and you handed me this article. So uh, it was fantastic. It was beautiful. Um, so yeah, I want to start. Can you tell us more about the article and why and how you wrote it? And yeah. Yeah. Um... Thank you for saying all that. Um, it was good timing. I don't usually hand people things. I'm like, here's what I've written about like why I still remain Catholic, but it was right there. <laughs> and I guess I had the answer. Um, but I guess me, I wrote this essay um, 
pretty much over the course of a year um, as I processed, as I continued to process, um, like you said, both broad scandal, in particular scandal within local church communities, um, whether it's your own parish or, you know, the, the Catholic university that formed you or the, you know, the universal church as a whole and seeing how this, you know, human nature corrupts, corrupts everything in every aspect at every level of the church. And, um, so, um, in particular, I, I guess I started, um, I started this trip um, in 2021. Um, we live in Michigan, like you. Um, we drove out west uh, to New Mexico and to Colorado. Uh, and I remember emailing our school principal at the time and thinking that we would need to pull our kids out early um, in order to make the timing work. And he said something that I thought was kind of weird. And he was like, enjoy, um, like, enjoy this time of pilgrimage. And I was like, well, that's kind of a, an odd thing to say, like it's a family vacation and it just glanced off of me. But as we were um, just kind of letting our routines of home and things that we'd experienced at home go and immerse ourselves in beautiful places in nature instead, I started realizing like there was something to that um, and that this journey had started to become a pilgrimage of sorts and a place of like a pilgrimage of healing like you know how people might go to lords or to some other site in order to to pray and to be near places that you know thousands of people have gone to before um with their own intentions like i i started realizing that there were parallels uh to that and to what i was i was looking for in these beautiful places um so we come we come back and i realized like i'm still going to mass I don't know why, but something is still pulling me here in the liturgy. Um, and I think it's connected to the same impulse I felt um, when I'm drawn to the mountains, when I'm drawn to, to beautiful places. Uh, and what and so I was trying to explore what is that? And are they the same thing? You know, can I why do we need to stay in the church if we can just find God, you know, in beautiful places in creation or in in people, like in having people like your family over. Um, so I think I was also trying to distill for myself, well, why do I keep coming back to mass and to this church when I can find God elsewhere? Is there something more that that mass and that that Christ present in the church itself gives me that these other um, examples can't? So yeah, that, that was what the, the kind of questions I was trying to, to wrestle with. There was a, uh, yeah, one of the many great moments in the article you were talking about um, at the different churches in Europe that you've seen and um, and, and all of this stuff. Um, and then you said, um, and, and I'll quote it, uh, the mountains, canyons, rolling Kansas prairies, and Colorado night sky, floodlit by the full moon, were heralds of God's existence no more and no less than Bernini's imposing saints above St. Peter's Square, but God, they seem gentler. Um, in the sense of like, hmm, there's something about encountering God in nature uh, that is more gentle than encountering God in these great traditional uh, structures and artwork in the church. Yeah. Um, yeah, can you say more about that? Yeah, I guess... Um... Should I go back maybe and explain what we were like literally like kind of driving away from? Yeah. Um, so this started off, I guess, spring 2021. So we've had a year of COVID and all of the drama that that ensued. And I think when we look back, like a lot, like I don't think anyone likes to remember that year. Um, but I think, you know, at the time we recognized that these fault lines that were, um, you know, splitting up society in our neighborhoods and our, you know, our communities were in their pews too. And, and being very uneasy with that, but trying to cling to the people around us anyways, um, in spite of that. Um, and trying to believe that like, well, our communion here is stronger than that, like we have to persevere. And then there was an instance where it just felt like 
that was, I know that was futile. Like we ended up, um, how should I phrase this? Um, I think in the article, I, I describe it as like, we were caught up in an instance of like public derision um, where, you know, all the choices that people made during, you know, 2020, early 2021, um, are, kind of lifted up into, I don't know, like a, an indicator of what kind of person you are, you know, like if you made this choice, it's not just that, oh, that's a, a prudential judgment or a choice my family wouldn't have made, but it's because you're, you know, you're wicked or you don't care about your family. You're, you know, people who believe this are subhuman and they deserve to be mocked. Um, it was that ugly. And, and and you're talking about you're talking about prudential things with the pandemic, like masks or vaccines or distancing sure. or, or those types. Sure, of things. or like all these things that were, you know, on the you know top of everyone's mind, and we're all trying to navigate and and use our best judgment. Um, and an instance like that, where all of a sudden it wasn't just like, oh, we disagree, but you know, we love you anyways. It was no, you you are so wrong you you know you why are you even here you know in our community um and that was just like devastating to us not only to be so caught off guard within the context of a church community that we were trying to hold on to um but also not knowing like who else agrees you know um like who else who we believe are our friends and welcome into our home, um, think about this, think about us in that way too. Um, and I tried to be very intentional and in not saying like what the issue was, you know, because I don't, I think everyone, no matter like what choices they made, they all probably felt something similar that year and feeling um, like at the, at the a receiving end of this, of a sweeping judgment, um, over what to, yeah, whether you're a moral person or not, whether you are deserving of, of being heard or not. Uh, I think that was, I don't know, something we've probably, we all experienced to some extent during the pandemic. But it takes on a, a different kind of flavor or a different kind of hurt when it's being framed in in, in moral terms, in terms of yeah. belonging in the church and when it's coming from our local communities of people who we know and people who right. we care about and people who we thought cared about us. Right. And so then you add it to the extra layer of this is where we worship God. This is where we come to be, you know, to escape the all the changing and you know, currents of the world out there, that's maddening. And this is, this is supposed to be the still point, you know, that where we can receive nourishment and that's not safe either. Um, this, we are still judged for being here um, or, or don't know, you know, I, I don't know if I can look over at the person who's giving me the sign of peace <laughs> and then like, you know, uh, and see into their heart and wonder like, do you, you know, trust that they actually mean it yeah so that's what we were like well we're gonna leave for a few weeks and just <laughs> drive out west <laughs> like pack up and we need to figure this out um and then on top of that this is when a lot of the steubenville things started um coming to light and i had just written an article for crisis about that and when you write something like that you start getting a lot i'm sure paul you've experienced this um a lot of messages out of nowhere um, from people who want to reach out and tell you their own stories. Um, and so at one point, it was like every night, someone's calling me or messaging me out of the blue that I don't even know some of them, or sometimes it would be people that I did know and was close to. And I, you know, they would share um, experiences is that they had. And it's like, I didn't, you know, it's a, it's another type of horror to be like, I thought I knew you so well, and I didn't realize that you were suffering this way or, that you had that experience with with that priest, and so it was it was a heavy time uh, for me to yeah to both process that and you know like I don't I I never thought that any institution in the church was perfect, um, 
but this is a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it feels like an honor and a, and a privilege and it's humbling when people share those things with you, but you don't walk away from the, those things unaffected, like holding that space for other people's stories. Um, it still weighs on you. Um, right. And it still shapes your own, how you see the church and how you see these institutions. Um, Cause there's, if, if what not just this individual person's story is true, if what these, you know, 11 people's story is mm -hmm. true, and I accept that as true, then what does that say about these people, you know, in this case from Franciscan, who I thought were good people, um, who I thought had the interest of other people in mind, like to accept these stories as true as implications for how you view these things. Right. And it starts to change your memory of those things, you know, and of those years or, you know, for me, it made like both in our, our own church, it started, you know, making me doubt like the quality of friendships, you know, and, and the future of friendships and looking back at my, you know, my time at Steubenville, which was great. It, it starts to taint your memories and, and thing, you know, um, but anyways, your question was about nature and yeah. the difference between like, so I think um, when we were just in these wild, big places, um, I realized, you know, the, these aren't safe and tame places either. You know, like when we're in New Mexico, I'm like constantly paranoid that like a mountain lion is just going to come out of nowhere and like eat my child. Like I'm not, I don't feel safe there either, but it's a different type of safety. And I think I was, I was longing for something else grand and beautiful. Um, and it felt like a bomb to me. Like that's, I feel like the best word. I, I just, I finally on this trip, con like confronted the wounds. And I recognized that, that all I wanted was to go seek out beauty and, and pour that beauty into my heart. And I was getting it in, in that particular way and and other times it's been through the church. It's been in beautiful churches or within the context of the liturgy or all these things. But, but like I said, at the time, I just needed it directly from creation and not something that was, that was filtered through um, people because I was tired of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, was, there was another point in the article, you were, um, you, the time that you were, you were on this trip was also the, at some point, the Feast of the Sacred Heart, and you were reflecting on the Litany of the Sacred Heart, um, specifically on, on some of the titles of Christ, like Desire of the Everlasting Hills, which is the title of your article. Uh, and you said, again, reading from the article, uh, I pondered that last title, uh, as we painstakingly threaded our way through boulder fields that seemed to never end. Jesus said the rocks of the Mount of Olives would cry out praise if man was silent. What would the Sandia Mountain say for me? Um, and I loved that as I can't trust people. Uh, so maybe the, maybe the mountains will pray for me. I can trust the mountains. Yeah, so um, I had never... That was in June, I guess. Um, and I, I had never really paid attention to the devotion of the Sacred Heart before. Um, I felt that was like, that was really intense, you know, tra like traditional Catholics do. And whenever I see a picture of the Sacred Heart, I'd be like, that's kind of weird. That like, I read this description, I think it was from Dappled Things, and it was kind of a joke. And they were, uh, I think they're doing an art contest to get better visual art of the Sacred Heart. And I think they used the phrase like Pantene hair Jesus on it. I was like, it's true. Like he just, it's this very romantic, um, I don't know, Victorian, like weird, I don't know, thing of like bleeding hearts and a Jesus that does not look like anything I would want to be near. <laughs> um, but I started in the lead up, in the, you know, days leading up to the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart, I think I, I came across the litany and I had never seen it before and was really um, drawn to and kind of mystified by some of the titles. 
that were given to Jesus's heart. And one of them was desire of the everlasting hills. Like he said, and just being among mountains, that struck me as I wondered, like, what does that mean? You know, do, how can the hills desire something? Um, what, yeah, what does that prayer look like? The surging up and like they, they are drawn, even the earth is drawn to Jesus's heart. And, and where am I um, in relation to that? Like, can they draw me too? Yeah, I, <laughs> um, there were several moments, those moments in those two moments specifically. Um, you said the word uh, bomb. Uh, those feelings you expressed, uh, those felt like bomb. Um, there was another moment, and I want this is a little bit longer of a passage. I want to spend a little bit of time here. Um, this is towards towards the beginning of the article, as you're leaving for the trip. You said, uh, this is from the article again, a few weeks before we left, we had found ourselves on the receiving end of, of public derision from someone we trusted, a sweeping judgment that caught us off guard with its willingness to scapegoat, ridicule, and egg on others to do the same. It took place within the context of our church, a community we love dearly, and had striven to hold tight to during the pandemic, even as the same fault lines that split the world made their way into the pews. Before we left, we'd come to a fragile place of forgiveness and reconciliation, possible only by grace, I realized in the moment, but it still hurt. Our sense of belonging, of being at rest and at home and safe in this corner of the church was still shattered. Um, your experience, and in particular, this feeling of no longer feeling safe in a place that felt safe and specifically in, uh, not in the church broadly, but safe in my, in my parish, in my home community. Mm -hmm. Um, like it resonated with me, uh, profoundly. Um, again, wanting to avoid the specifics because it's easy to caught up in the specifics, but focused on the experience and, and the feelings. Um, I'd worked at my parish in a small town. My town's like 1,200 people. Uh, I relocated my whole family here and bought a house here. And my kids go to Catholic school here. And I worked at this parish for almost eight years. And uh, for a whole number of serious reasons, um, me and all the ministry staff, we resigned at the same time about a year and a half ago. And in response to that, my pastor at the time uh, he, he publicly shamed us by name and accused us uh, of grave sin by name, um, without any, without anyone stopping him from doing that. And, um, I, you know, we'd been, I'd been transparent uh, with, with, with the stuff that wasn't going on, been tra transparent with the diocese. Uh, was friends with a handful of people uh, in the diocese and nobody protected me. Uh, nobody stopped that from happening. Uh, nobody with any type of authority tried to rectify that or make amends for that happening. Uh, nobody who worked in the diocese went to the bishop and was like, I can't work in an organization that allows people to be treated this way um, by pastors using all of their authority to harm people this way. Uh, I still live in this town of 1,200 people. There are only two churches in town, the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church, <laughs> the Catholic Church being uh, uh, the main one, right? Um, I lived in town. My house is three blocks from the church. My kids go to Catholic school. Uh, so all of that stayed the same after well and after, during and after all of this was happening. Um, for several months, we attended uh, a neighboring parish in a different diocese. And it was really great being an anonymous pew sitter. I could show up, I could sit in the back. Most people didn't know me. 
I didn't know enough about that particular priest to have any type of judgments. I could just kind of be naive uh, <laughs> uh, and just show up to mass. Um, after a few months, my pastor, um, he had resigned due to health issues. Um, and after that, we started attending mass in my home parish again. And we've been, been attending for just over a year. Uh, but there hasn't been any type of reconciliation and there hasn't mm -hmm. been any attempt from anyone with authority to, to repair the harm that was done. Uh, and we recently had a really great conversation with the brand new, we have a brand new pastor and it was a really great conversation. Um, and, and I'm hopeful and excited to get to know this, this new pastor. Um, but I told him, I still don't feel safe. Uh, if it weren't for the constraints of being in a small rural community and living in town and my kids going to the school here, if it weren't for those constraints, I would go someplace else because I don't feel safe in this community anymore. Uh, again, like similar to things you had said, um, I don't know what the person standing next to me in the pew thinks of me. Um, the pastor said some really terrible things about me. Um, and that was never corrected. Uh, yeah, this feeling of being at home and being safe uh, is gone. Um, uh, oh, man, where to go from here? Um, I think... I guess a difference, and I talk about this in my essay, is for us, we did experience, like the reason we came back, because it would probably be pretty stupid. I don't know, it would, like we don't have, we have churches like 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away, you know? It wouldn't have been a good idea for us to stay if if certain rights or wrongs weren't righted, you know? And and the that transgression wasn't named by the offender, you know? Um, and and that person did, and I felt did ex express genuine contrition and sought reconciliation in a way that like, I think I've told you this before, like made me believe in the power of the Holy Spirit because that was not a natural thing for someone who feels so strongly about whatever, <laughs> you know, especially the issues that were like swirling around then, like to do, to realize like, I did this, I handled this so wrong, please forgive me. and to do so publicly, um, like to make sure that everyone else knows like I was in the wrong uh, and that didn't take away the source of disagreement um, or make things, you know, make everything easy. But but that act, which you haven't had, um, did make the difference and and made us think, you know, community is hard, but but if the grace is there, then it's possible. And, and we're gonna tr we're gonna keep trying um, as long as that good faith is still extended. But if it's not there, then yeah, how do you how do you feel feel safe in in your corner of the church? Yeah. Um, we're talking about feeling safe in the church. Uh, And you had said at the beginning of our conversation before we started recording, it may be important to talk about what safety, what we don't mean by safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's important. Uh, so I'll throw it back at you. I what, think, okay. What, I think what don't about we mean by safety? Sometimes, you know, like I think there's a lot of derision about, you know, safe spaces and what that is and isn't. And, you know, do you just mean you'd never want to feel uncomfortable or challenged by something, by an idea you don't like? And that's not, I don't think that's what either of us mean. Because I, I mean, I, I think there's a sense in which church and being, you know, being Catholic shouldn't be safe for us and for a comfortable existence. Because if the gospel is a two-edged sword, then it's going to cut at times and it's going to hurt. And if the church, I was thinking about this earlier, earlier, um, like if the church is a hospital, right? Like it, that doesn't mean it's your nice suburban, like pediatrician's office. It has, you know, like you go to the ER and you see 
crazy, ugly things sometimes. And that's, that's just where we all end up sometimes. And, and that's the world and that's the church too. And, um, and Francis says we're a field hospital, which means yeah. we're in an ER in the middle of a battlefield. Yeah. And like, even if we're not just like this remote field hospital, even like, you know, the church, the hospital down the street in the middle of like our downtown is, is, is there it's it's next to our physical church actually and and everyone everyone shows up you know um and we can't expect our our congregation to only look like us and to only think like us and make us feel comfortable um i don't know like i as i yeah I, I feel like when people, you know, start complaining about like, oh, the panhandler, you know, in the back or, you know, is what if a man in a dress shows up? Like, am I, are we going to say, no, this is a safe space. Like, we're not, you're not allowed here. Uh, yeah, I, these are the things that like. A safe space in an echo chamber. Yeah. 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 There's, I mean, to reiterate. There's a difference between being challenged by the truth of God's revelation and being challenged by the image of God in the people who are around us in our physical, literal mm -hmm. community or church building um, and the messiness of their lives. Like Pope Francis writes about in, in Gaudete and Exotolte, he's like, even people whose lives look the most wrecked, like, they still bear God's image. God is still working through them in some way, which means we have something. It means we can encounter God in them, and it would be a privilege to encounter God in them. So we're not, it's not not being challenged by those things. Um, it's safety in the sense of like where um, I don't know if my dignity is being respected, mm -hmm. or I know yeah. for sure that it isn't. Yeah. Or um, I don't trust that what's being taught to me isn't just a person's, you know, or being or being like shared among me, like and even just among peers in the pews that like the gospel we seem to be living isn't just a, um, a personal judgment or a personal opinion of of how how they live it out in their own lives versus like the actual gospel of Christ. Um, when you start catching that and saying, I don't, I don't want my children to be, um, to come away and think that that's Christianity. That's, that's your political opinion, or, you know, that's the way that you've decided things for your family. But when it's, it's covered in the, the veneer of like, well, no, this is Catholicism. Um, I think that's another aspect of, of wondering like our, our is our spiritual formation safe yeah if people are presenting things <clears throat> if people in authority are presenting things and whether they're pastors or catechists or teachers saying this is what the church teaches and it's not what the church teaches uh yeah um yeah it's being like you said being unsafe and what's being taught uh and lying about the gospel and lying about the church, um, even if unintentional, even with entirely entire sincerity mm -hmm. and goodwill. Yeah. It's still very harmful. Um, oh, man, I have lots of things on my notes. Yeah. And, and where do I want to go next? Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit. Uh, you handed me this article when we visited, uh, because I asked, uh, you and your husband, um, which looking back was a pretty personal and challenging question. Uh, <laughs> how do you navigate still being Catholic, knowing that all of this crap in the church is true? Uh, and, you know, that's what it you is. Me. Yeah, that is a question that like, you know, so why are you still here? Like, well. <laughs> because, because not everybody is. And, mm -hmm. and not as a judgment, because if your dignity has been that profoundly harmed, 
Um, like I totally understand why you're not here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and maybe not being here is, is in this moment of your life, the healthiest thing for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of jokingly handed you an article, but, um, is your question like, you know, really like how have we navigate, have at least I navigated remaining? Um, I think like very practically speaking, um, for me, and I, I, draw this out in my essay um it's a lot of it has been seeking out beauty um and i've realized it can it's a powerful antidote to remaining in a place of bitterness and resentment um just like whatever whatever is that bomb um whether it's natural beauty like it was for me that summer or or the beauty of friendships like having families like yours who understand, you know, closer into your circle um, or or books that you've returned to that that have always, I feel like, reminded you of the goodness of the faith um, or just really distilling down into like what draws me here. If it's Jesus, then what shows me Jesus's face more clearly? Like, and if it's these things that that trigger other emotions, like I'm just going to let it go right now and just focus on what what is beautiful and and soothing in the moment um it's been like art for me um we bought a a membership to the detroit institute of arts uh last year and just the chance to go on a weekday with a friend like they had a van gogh exhibit um and i grabbed someone who you know, I love dearly and we went uh, and just being able to sit in front of something that it's kind of like a pilgrimage to just sit in front of a piece of beautiful art that people for years and years and years have come to and sat in front of before and just like bathed in its beauty like that. I just felt is another another way to just fill my own heart with with goodness. Um, and to avoid the, the temptation of of just resentment. Um, I think that's one, that's a big thing that has, um, I don't know, helped me, helped me to navigate my place in the church without only feeling like, I don't know, frustrated or upset. And this is not to say that there aren't times like, you know, we powwow with like, like-minded friends and we're just like, you know. This is everything that's wrong. <laughs> I know. Like there there are moments like that and then but you can't live there. I I don't want to to remain in that place. Um cuz I don't know. And I think also just acknowledging like it's a lonely place to be to um to feel to acknowledge like a certain alienation um within a place that's supposed to be your spiritual home. Um, but wanting to stay there, like most people would either not feel that, you know, not feel the alienation and not, you know, struggle with this. Or if they do, then they're like, well, goodbye, <laughs> you know, I'm going to leave. And to try to be in this other space uh, can be very lonely. Um, so I think acknowledging that and and trying to fight against the loneliness uh, the, is another thing. That temptation you talked about to resentment and bitterness um what i found navigating that is like i don't want to be that i've encountered a lot of bitter catholics in my mm -hmm. life the yeah. world does not need another <laughs> catholic but i mean there's there's been times where the thought of not being bitter felt like a betrayal of the truth of my experience mm -hmm. if i'm not angry about this then somehow i'm betraying what happened to me and saying that it's okay um and acknowledging that at some point over 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 the past year or so was really freeing for me. Where it's like it's okay for me to be happy and joyful in the church at times, mm -hmm. and that and that that isn't a betrayal of the truth of what happened to me and what the things that have happened to other people I care about. Yeah. Um, I think something. So, um, I ended the article by mentioning how you know we came back we went back to school we did all these things and in place of um like the mountains that i found giving me solace and consolation i found the same i realized i found the same um 
healing um, and going to mass with the at the school mass and these little kids are saying you know like really simple praise and worship songs and there's just something about their innocence that allowed me to pray you know to pray in the liturgy to pray in the same place you know in the same context in the community that i felt wounded in before um but like that they that these children's prayers were were lifting me up in the same way that you know the mountains were the desire of of the hills um and i um i don't know an image i kept having that year was um like of handholds if you're like rock climbing and you grasp onto something and i started to think of people that way like i and people within the same community right like community is this like tricky paradox where it's it can wound you and it can be like your lifesaver at the same time right and i would find people who would just shine out to me as like witnesses of you know what's wrong in the church you see it too um but you have faith and i don't know what my faith how strong my own faith is now but i'm going to hold on to you um and maybe they didn't even know it <laughs> that they were like a you know a tether for me um but finding those people as well um and just and just praying along with them or saying i don't you know they're they're still here and i don't know what their thought process or you know reasoning is but but i want but god i want to attach myself to that in the moment because they you know they're still making it work yeah uh the feeling of alienation and the feeling of loneliness for me has been lessened by uh, attaching myself to people, but specifically people who also get it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, someone reached out to me, you know, in the past year to share their story of being harmed in the church. And they talked about how, how they phrased it was, I had really close Catholic friends and I tell them what happened and they didn't get it. Mm -hmm they didn't get how much harm this did and and they had really easy answers to explain it away like priests are just sinners too this person was just doing his best whatever mm -hmm. and she had said uh it's really great to talk with people who get it and uh and that's something that i found where it's like hanging on to two true things. Like, I love the church. I love the sacraments. I love the teachings of the church and the beauty in the church. And that is true. And what is also true is a profound amount of ugliness and abuse and self-protection and cover-up. And I... I've been able to give myself permission to hang on to both of those things, uh, which can be very uncomfortable, <laughs> is very uncomfortable. But I don't have to resolve the tension by denying either of those truths, right? I can still hang on to both of them. Those people hanging on to both of them, that's the community I have found to be. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the most supportive and the most healing for me to be a part of. Um, yeah, the, the, the Catholics, you get it. Yeah. Um, before I forget, I think another um, practical thing that's kind of helped me shift my mentality of, of well, what is my place in the church and what is um, when I find myself getting upset of like, oh, the church, that the way the church speaks about like X, Y, or Z, or the church doesn't do this other thing well, or that, you know, it, it fails in this way. Um, at some point I realized like, if I only think in the, in that frame of mind, like it's, it's kind of discounting the fact that through my own baptism, like I am the church as well. And whatever I do, is bringing the church into that space. So like you, I'm sure we can have a long discussion of how the church doesn't speak to like 
the people to that community of people who are struggling to hold on to that tension. You know, like the church doesn't do a great enough job acknowledging that tension. Um, but by you and Dominic, I think speaking to this and asking these questions, like you are bringing the church there. Um, and so for me, it's been also, um, I guess trying out to live out different aspects of the church's mission in ways, in other ways than I we'd been used to. So instead of like maybe doing every single thing in our little circle, you know, or in our parish or school, it's been volunteering with Catholic charities and and working with like Muslim refugees and and knowing like this is the church too, or or speaking, you know, like just just going out of of what we've created and and finding finding other yeah aspects of the church i had two really concrete experiences of that um a year and a half ago so it, it was march when when all this happened at my parish so easter was just a few weeks after that and during holy week i had uh yeah christina and i we decided kind of on a whim um, we both really love the, the ancient homily for Holy Saturday. Uh, mm -hmm. and there isn't mass on Holy Saturday. The church doesn't celebrate mass, just morning prayer. Um, so we're like, let's invite people over. So we invited, um, uh, people in our community over to our house for brunch and morning prayer and read from the liturgy of the hours. And there were like, 20 people in our house, 20 adults in our house or more, and at least half that many kids. And I don't have a very big house. We were, uh, we, we filled up both our living room and our dining room. And, you know, a couple people brought, uh, you know, books, breviary books. Most people just had like the apps on their phone. And we prayed this together. And I love Holy Week liturgies. Um, I absolutely love all of the Holy Week liturgies. Um, like this past year, we went to my uh, my sister and her family are at the Basilica in Grand Rapids, and they do everything for Holy Saturday, all the smells and bells, all the things. Mm -hmm. And it's, I loved it. It's wonderful. This morning prayer in my dining room with these concrete people, this is the best Holy Week liturgy I've ever experienced. Um, yeah, that was like we were being church and celebrating liturgy in the way proper to us as baptized Christians. And God was present um, in that in a very concrete way. Um, and then the other concrete experience of experiencing the church in a new way was like people, pe like several people in my community. <laughs> um, you know, like people who live within like, you know, blocks of my house, like literal neighbors mm -hmm. um, were so incredibly materially supportive during of my family during that time. I mean, there was a couple times where there'd just be like an envelope of cash in our mailbox um, with yeah. no name on it. Mm -hmm. um, we just received a tremendous amount of support from our community in a way that, uh, in a way I had never experienced before. Um, so God was very present in that as well. Um, we're getting to the time of wrapping up. I have a couple, I have, I think I have another question, but before I get there, do you have any thoughts, Dominic? No, not really. I mean, they, they come and go throughout the conversation, but uh, there are none, none really jumping out right now. So carry on with your question. Yeah. Uh, okay. So to leave listeners with something, something tangible um, or some, yeah, some tangible things, if someone has resonated with the experiences that we've talked about here um, and find themselves in a place where they no longer feel safe in the church, uh, you've given some, but what are some other other suggestions that you would have um, for listeners in that experience? Um, 
I think, um, I think just starting off with acknowledging, I think we've talked about acknowledging the wound and the reason for experiencing that, um, that hurt and that lack of safety and not, not dismissing it for yourself or discounting the seriousness um, goes a long way. And, and if you have people that, that get it, like you said, and can affirm for you, like, no, that was serious. You know, that's, you are right and, and justified in feeling this way, um, I think is a, is a huge, like, relief um, to be able to share that burden with somebody who, who understands. Um, for me, it's been a lot of soul searching of why am I here and am I, do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And if he is, then, then do I trust that he still comes to me through the sacraments, especially the Eucharist through the church that he gave us? Like, despite all this, you know, like no one's denying that this, this mess is, is all around and really bad. And all this, like, do I still believe that Jesus is at the center? Um, and that's what really moved me about the litany of the sacred heart, because the titles that they give him are all about, um, they're all about all the, like, naming him as the center of all of our desires, um, like our desires for reconciliation, for justice, for peace and love and, and virtue. Um, it's, it's his heart that's the, that pulls all of that into one place. And I, I knew that, that that place culminates in the liturgy. And so that's what kept me going. Uh, and But if a person can't get there uh, for whatever reasons, especially, I think, trauma, um, if they can't physically be in the church, like, that's okay. Uh, I know you and I have talked about, um, I think it's the, the Archdiocese of Minneapolis, yeah. Fell somewhere, yeah. yeah who's yeah. who started a ministry to bring the Eucharist to people um, who've been abused within the church, and so it's it's a burden and a hurdle for them to get to mass, but they, but Jesus will come to them, and there are people willing to bring Jesus to them. I think that's yeah, the, that's really beautiful. The church recognizes like trauma is a legitimate reason to miss mass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I think, um, go ahead. No, I guess so. I mean, I wasn't there, but but being, going through and, and just wrestling in my mind and confirming for myself, like I'm here because of, because of Jesus and that altars where he comes and I want to be there. Like having that shift in, in my vision, like it doesn't mean I don't see or I don't choose to see the bad things as well. But, um, I guess trying to keep my vision focused on that on that truth, uh, as opposed to just filled with with the things that would just make me resentful and and want to leave other like has has kept me here. Yeah, that joy and happiness and peace aren't a betrayal of the harm that's happened. Right. Yeah, and and remaining isn't a betrayal. Um, and I but I totally get like when people. We'll say, well, don't leave because of the Eucharist. Like that can really, um, that doesn't dismissive. always hit. Yeah, <laughs> that I, most of the times I hear that I kind of cringe and I was like, oh, that's, you know, I think you have to acknowledge that that, yeah, it, it doesn't always resonate with people in the, in the moment. But. Yeah. Yeah. Unless the harm has been fully acknowledged, that mm -hmm. statement comes off as dismissive. Sure. Or it's a little like, you know, people telling someone an abusive marriage, like, well, don't leave because of the kids or, you know, these things are like, that's true. But this is also harming me by staying. Uh, I, yeah, I think we need to be careful with how we how we phrase that. Yeah. And I think it's true, too. Like, like, like people are free to go where it's safe. Like if going to mass at a different parish or a different diocese. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh feel safer mm -hmm. go that's okay <laughs> good for you <laughs> yeah yeah um i think too i would add that in the gospels jesus explicitly identifies himself 
um, with those who are wounded and the and the marginalized, even the ones who are wounded and marginalized by the religious leaders. Um, so even if someone was harmed by someone like a priest who sacramentally represents Christ, maybe even especially if they've been harmed by someone who sacramentally represents Christ, Christ is still on the side of the person who's been harmed and been marginalized. Like mm -hmm. Christ is present with the wounded and in, 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 in the woundedness in a very attentive way. Oh man, that was a lot. That was a fantastic conversation. <laughs> um, Liz, thank you so much. Thank you for this article. Um, I really hope that the link is out online. Um, I do too. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll just do like old school sharing. I'm like, I'll take a picture and like post. Well, like I said, right before it we should be. yeah before we started recording, for those who haven't yet read it, <laughs> I skimmed it briefly, and and just skimming it was beautiful. And like I said, you got a beautiful turn of phrase. It's not only a beautiful reflection, but it's also just a delight to read. So I hope people also get get a chance to score a copy and, and enjoy it for themselves. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. You, you can buy the printed magazing. You could, yeah. yeah. It's the, the Pentecost edition <laughs> I get, of, of Dappled Things. I get no royalties, but but go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Liz, where can people find you and follow your work? Um, I guess Twitter is probably the best way uh, for who knows how long until that crashes and burns. <laughs> uh, but I'm Liz E. Hansen. Uh, that's L-I-Z-E-H-A-N-S-E-N. Um, I was trying to like explain the name Hanson to someone recently because she couldn't like comprehend it. I don't know. And I wanted to say Hanson, like the boy band, but it's not, it's not S-O-N, it's S-E-N. So not even that really helped, but. Awesome. Dominic, do you want to take us out? Sure thing. So, hey friends, if you enjoyed this show, please uh, hit that like button because it's going to help YouTube um, promote this conversation so that more people can discover what Liz has been talking about, what she's working on. And of course, it helps us every time we put out a new show to reach more people who are like you and I and looking for this sort of thing. So uh, if you are enjoying these conversations, we'd love to meet you and, uh, and hang out with you. Um, if you like the content that you're hearing in this podcast and you want to go deeper, um, you can check out Father's Heart Academy. We are building a community, have built a community um, for people who are wanting a more compelling church, a more compelling gospel. Like, And by that, I mean like a place where, a place that holds, holds the tension, um, both in the experiences that we've had of feeling harmed in the church and a place that holds the intellectual tension of some of the mysteries of the faith that are really difficult to reconcile and isn't afraid of people asking questions within that tension and isn't afraid to not have um, like easy, ready answers to those, to just kind of wait in the question. So yeah. if you're interested in a community like that, check out Father's Heart Academy. I'm convinced that that's the mark of a mature, uh, discerning faith like the Holy Father calls for is an ability to recognize that where there is, where there are problems, that are, seem unsolvable to just sit with them and hold both sides. And more often than not, we end up having to hold both sides on many issues. And it's the, the compulsive need for certainty and for a way too def definite answer and a black and white you know, clarity that can end up getting us into all sorts of trouble and scrupulosity. And I'm just wonderfully proud of the amazing members of our Smart Catholics community who are part of the, uh, the Father's Heart Academy. Um, who are seeking this, these kinds of conversations in that spirit of gentility. And occasionally we'll get these people who come in and they're lambasting things and shotgunning the walls. And so we just listen to them for a hot minute and then we boot them if they aren't <laughs> interested in paying attention. Because we were building a particular kind of culture and, and Paul's just doing this incredible work to provide guidance. So members of the Academy do get special access and benefits to uh, to Paul and the work he's doing. You can meet with him regularly, <laughs> discuss recent podcasts or events in the church. Uh, there are seminars and workshops on specific topics and magisterial documents. Um, and 
the homepage for this podcast is popefrancisgeneration.com. Um, you, you can contact me there. Um, and then for Father's Heart Academy, that's fathersheartacademy.com. And also check out Smart Catholics. So till next time, friends, say a short prayer for yourself and for us. And remember, don't be afraid to ask questions. Doubts can be a sign that we want to know God better and more deeply. God bless you.